Welcome to the next episode of In China Between Meetings with your host Marian Danko, aka China Hustler. We talk about innovation, entrepreneurship, and uh, technology. This series of interviews brought to you by WeHustle, a Shanghai-based platform for innovation and growth. We help international and local teams succeed in China. And today I'm thrilled to have a special guest, Jay Xiao, um, <laughs> Corporate Innovation Acceleration Manager at Xnode. Yes. And I want to start with a compliment. <laughs> you have an amazing education. You studied you. in at least three countries, four um, educational institution. Yeah. Um, can you please walk me through, can you take me back to that time? What did you feel? Um, what did you learn? And um, what do you think you learned and was something special that mm. otherwise you would never pick if you didn't go to those countries, to those universities? Sure. Um, so for me, you can tell by my accent, I have an American accent. Um, I actually grew up in Shanghai. My family were expats here in the early 90s. So I saw China change from the very beginning. I went to international school here. Um, Shanghai American School, which is an international school based in Minghang. Mm -hmm. There, it was super international, so we got to see a lot of kids, um, both Chinese as well as from abroad. Their parents came here in the early China boom to really take advantage of opportunities. So it was a very diversified um, exposure for a very young, at a very young age. Um, and from Shanghai American School, after I think really building a very young network, I then went off to boarding school in um, the US. So I went to boarding school in Princeton, New Jersey at Lawrenceville. Boarding school is, uh, boarding school, I think it, for the Brits, it's almost like where your parents send you if you uh, want to go to a discipline school. <laughs> um, but for, for me, boarding school was a great way to also get some exposure, this time very American-centric. Um, so followed by boarding school, I went to school at Johns Hopkins University where I think an American university, they're really focused on innovation entrepreneurship. Mm. They really encourage you to think outside the box, um, and they really encourage you to have a liberal arts approach. A liberal arts approach is kind of, you don't just look at one vertical, right? You look across, um, mm -hmm. and then you take a lot of learnings from across different, I almost said industries, different subject matters, and then see which ones that you are really passionate about. Um, so in an American education system, I think it really incentivizes you to be an entrepreneur in many sense. Mm -hmm. um, followed by that, I actually did a, like you mentioned, a um, quick stunt in, in London. I went to the London School of Economics. Uh, that is a very different environment. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, it, it is still very international, but if you move out of an American mindset of American um, centralism, you look at everything quite differently. Um, at LSE, we've focused a lot more on economics and understanding um, the European point of view and then applying that to also history. So I think at LSE, it really broadened my mind to stepping out of just the American approach and also a more global centric view. So it's, it's very interesting, um, different education across different continents. <laughs> And after that, you, you, you went back to the U.S., right? Yes, I went back to the U.S. after that. Um, I started my career actually working in New York City. Um, I still have family there right now. But at New in New York City, I was actually working in hotel financing. So I was really set on becoming a corporate lawyer, actually. Hmm. Um, I think I maybe watched Legally Blonde. I don't know if you've ever watched that movie. Nope. <laughs> um, basically, I think I thought that law is where I wanted to go because law is really a fundamental that underlies a lot of different industries. Right? How you understand a law is how you understand society. So that's where I started my career in New York. Um, and I was there for a couple years before moving to China. Right. 
So you spent two years in, in the U.S. and then you moved yes. back to China. So what was the reason? Um, can I say because I have family here? <laughs> so that was one reason. Because I have family in um, China, my father lives and works in Hangzhou. Mm -hmm. So that was a primarily re a big reason. And the other reason is because China is going through, I think, its era as a as a tech giant. It's, mm -hmm. it's undergoing huge growth. And for a young... I think for a young professional, anywhere that has exponential opportunities, it's very, very attractive. So I came back to China looking for something different, looking for some inspiration. At that time thinking maybe then I would go back to law school. Um, as you know, and many people also know, you always say you come to China for two months and then somehow you end exactly. up staying two years, three years. I think I'm at four years now. <laughs> All right. Yes. So you have the working experience here in China, right? And then yeah. you, you also had a couple of years working back in the U.S. If you think about and you compare those those times, what do you think, what was different? What are the differences working in these uh, countries? Is it environment? Is it leadership? Is it relationship between uh, uh, co-workers, mm. uh, colleagues? Um, just think about a couple of examples. Yeah, I think for in the U.S., um, it it's relatively it's relatively straightforward. You you work in a job that is in a high pressure environment. You deliver, um, and a lot of your passion you build outside of your job. But I think um, the professional and personal, in my opinion, they're still quite separate. Mm -hmm. Your professional network sometimes is also quite separate from your personal network. That said, in China. It's the, it's the creation of things like WeChat, where it mm. totally blurs personal and professional lines. It's the creation of a lot more digital touch points, offline meetings. It makes you feel that you kind of blur everything together. So the ecosystem, the network you're in, I think, um, is a lot more combined. The, and the other thing is in China, when you work with a lot of Chinese colleagues, um, which is what the current company I'm at is like, you get to learn a lot more across culture, across different mindsets. So I, I have to say, I think in China, I have gathered a lot more different point of views, more so than I did when I was working in New York. Um, so those, I would say, are some of the biggest differences between the U.S. and China for me, at least when I was working. Do you think the uh, U.S. experience helps you to do now business in China? Yeah, I think it's a bonus. It sounds cool to say I worked in New York City. <laughs> um, and also because I think the U.S., what I was doing, at least in the law firm, it's very helpful to give a structure. Um, in China, things move at such a huge speed, China speed, like everybody says. It's, it goes in many directions. It's all over the place. Um, and it helps for you to have a structure and a discipline to really try to understand what is the actual value of what you're trying to create um, and to give a process and a structure to it. So there are definitely pros of um, having some different types of experiences. Cool. Yeah. So after you moved to uh, Shanghai, right? So that was the city where you moved. You yes. didn't live in other places no, in China. No, I moved straight to Shanghai. That's okay. the city in China. Sorry right. to Beijing friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, Beijing friends. True. I love Beijing. I travel there yes. um, a lot. It's a good place to be. Uh, but to live, I prefer uh, Shanghai. Yes. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> so your first job in Shanghai was at Danone. Yes. Um, it's a huge company. Uh, how did you manage to get to this company? Sure. Um, so Danone is a French. It's a French multinational focused on food and beverages. And when I first came to Shanghai, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. But a fun fact about me is that I am actually a food blogger because I love to eat, um, I love to travel, I love to eat. So my passionate project is to be a food blogger. How I write about food. Sorry? How many, How many followers, followers do, you do I have? It depends on which account. On okay. WordPress, wow. where you can follow me on eatprayj.com. <laughs> I have around 20 or 30,000 different readers, wow. which is quite great. But yeah. unfortunately, COVID really 
hit my travel I, food blog. You make money on that blog? I actually do not monetize okay. at all. I do take um, I take invitations for food, but I don't monetize. It helps wow. me. It helps me be neutral. <laughs> um, but I really started it actually when I was at LSC because I loved all the food and all the places I was traveling to. So it was a place for me to kind of capture all my memories. And through food blogging, I came to Shanghai as well. Um, at first, I was really just exploring the food scene. Um, and naturally, actually in the food scene, I met a couple of people who were in food tech. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of where how that is how the Danan um, opportunity came to be. I met um, my mentor then, Lucy in Shanghai, where she was really focused on creating food tech and food ventures for Danan. Um, and at Danan then, I became one of the project managers to accelerate their internal um, programs. I can explain a bit about what I was doing at Danan as well. So yes, please. At Danan, I was in um, their internal branch called the it's a it's a mouthful manifesto innovation accelerator we just call it mia so the beauty of mia is that um, what we were trying to do is we were trying to cultivate internal we call entrepreneurship um, and we wanted to really bring out new ideas new business model through a agile startup way um, and to implement these through new product developments mm -hmm. so mia was a very interesting internal innovation venture for Danan. Of course, the non also had their um, venture arm. We call it corporate venture capital (CVC), um, and that was the Danon Ventures. So Danon Ventures also then focused on either taking these products to market or investing in um, other really new products or new business models in the market, and through those investments, be able to grow their business. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And uh, what what happened? Why did you uh, did I leave, leave right, <laughs> Danon? Sounds like a um, dream job. Oh, it was it was actually a dream job. I got to work in between Shanghai, Paris, London, wow. pre-COVID times. Got to travel to Paris all the time. That was really great. Um, it was it was a dream job in the sense that I got to, you know, really keep my hand on the pulse for a lot of food trends. So this can be ingredient formulation, so new food ingredients that people are loving, things like um, functional foods, functional beauty, to also business models of food. Is it through subscription? Is it through vending? Is it through what type of delivery or even the packaging, right? So what type of material science can we learn from? Um, that said, I think what I was trying to do, what we were trying to do at MIA through the internal, there were a couple of reasons why I ended up deciding to leave. The first being that we decided to really pivot and focus um, still on the uh, European market. So that's in mm -hmm. France and in UK. And there were reasons for it. Um, I do think the the health awareness of customers there are more willing to uptake we call more radical product innovations. So in China, I think there is still some um, room for consumer education to get there for certain health trends. And if you're really looking at new product development, you want to work at least with early adopters in the early mm -hmm. onset. It gives you quick wins and it's better for the corporate. Um, so that was the first reason, because the pivot to a more European focus. And the second, because Danan was also undergoing its own strategic um, reshaping and mm -hmm. that was a lean on towards Danone Ventures which I just mentioned um, so using instead of internal mechanisms to boost innovation they would invest in external innovation so through Danone Ventures they wanted to look at more external startups external technologies so those two things combined um, were kind of some catalysts that led me to leave also, lastly, of course, then it brings me to my current job. I met the current um, founder of my company, and he convinced me successfully to join. <laughs> he is good uh, communicator, he, he definitely. He is a communicator and negotiator. <laughs> uh, please, uh, so now you work at Xnode, yeah. probably 
some people don't know yet Xnode. Can yes. you introduce what Xnode does? Sure. Um, so Xnode is a innovation accelerator based in Shanghai. We now have offices in Shenzhen. We just opened it up, as well as Singapore. Thank you. As well as Singapore, um, Tokyo, and the Netherlands. So Xnode, as an innovation accelerator, we do a couple of things. So the three primary focus that we do right now. The first doing is, of course. Um, space. So we build a space where entrepreneurs and different type of mindsets can congregate and gather. Um, and on top of that space, we then build different innovation services: one for the corporations that we work with, and one for the startups that we work with. So I focus on working with the corporations, so helping them go from scoping to execution, starting their innovation strategy. How can they digitally transform? What is a suitable strategy for them?、Um, and after creating that strategy, we then execute it with them. Do they want to execute it through internal, bring their internal、um, employees to have a different mindset, or do they want to really invest in external innovations?、Mm -hmm. So when we're working with corporations, it's really hands-on that way. On the other hand, we also have startups, which I think I also love working with a lot. Chinese startups or even overseas startups that are looking to localize or accelerate their businesses in China.、Um, we tend to work with government institutions for that. For example, I think、um, upcoming after Chinese New Year, we have a couple batches of、um, Singaporean startups coming, virtually, of course, because unfortunately the corridor is not open yet.、Mm -hmm. Exactly. So still virtually, what they will be doing with us is through、um, Enterprise Singapore. We are working on a、um, acceleration acceleration with them, such that these really top Singaporean startups come to China, test out their business model, localize it, and find a product market fit. Um, and through this process, we、uh, work with the startups to deliver them、um, business value in China. So it's a couple of things that Exno does. It's quite complicated,、um, but the team is great, so it's a good team. The team is awesome. Yeah. Very supportive always. Thank you for that. <laughs>、um, so can you think about that? So I asked already、uh, Kapil、uh, from、um, GrowthX and、yes. uh, Sunny Team from Bay、uh, um, uh, X Digital Labs.、Um, what are the KPIs? So how do you measure your success? Ah,、oh, good question. It's funny because you interviewed, I think, two of the the best speakers already on innovation and corporate innovation.、Um, so I actually closely work with Kapil as well. So I'm quite curious to hear what his KPIs are. <laughs> They might be different from mine.、Um, for us to, or for me actually personally, I think the best KPI is through business impact. It's very hard to. Because a lot of what we do, actually, we train and invest in people, not the ideas.、Mm -hmm. um, because I'm a firm believer that you can have the best ideas, but it really is down to the people's mindset and ability to really make decisions and to change. So it's hard to measure impact by people.、Um, so for me, it's business impact then. Of the people that they create. So for us, when we work with corporations or startups. We create these minimum viable products, or we call proof of concepts.、Mm -hmm. And through these proof of concepts, think of them as something light touch. We try to evaluate and do feasibility checks to see if they can work. So for me, my KPI, my primary KPI, is to ensure that through proof of concepts, I'm able to at least forecast the potential business impact that this one collaboration between corporate and startups, or startups and their customers, can bring. So for me, that's my primarily、um, my biggest KPI. And the second one goes to again the people. I am a firm believer of people and mindset.、Um, so for me, being able to really change culture, that would be a huge KPI. It's just very hard to quantify. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really hard to measure. Exactly.、Mm, can you give just one example? Probably, you have the project, you have the corporate、mm. that say we need corporate innovation.、Mm -hmm. um, so what are the tools 
approaches, um, things that you do, um, and how long does it take? So let's say you onboard the project for three months, you do workshops, you do probably hackathons, mm -hmm. um, you onboard a couple of uh, startups to work with them. Um, I know it's, it's kind of very broad, yes. but there is supposed to be uh, at least uh, some, some plan. Um, Yes, there, we, we try to have a plan. <laughs> we try to have a structure for what it is that we do. Um, so basically for us, it takes for each um, collaboration, let me pick the most recent one that we did was working with um, Scania under Volkswagen Group. They're a very large mobility provider. Actually, they provide, I call it luxurious trucks. Trucks, um, yes. Exactly. And what Scania was looking for was really to transform from just a truck provider to a very smart mobility company. Mm -hmm. And in order to do so, um, our collaboration actually for this first part lasted around a year. And it was a very, like mm -hmm. you think it would be much quicker than that, but actually a year was already, in our opinion, sprinting towards the goal. So what we would always start with and the tools that we start with is always scoping. So there are many ways you can do scoping, right? You can have lots of meetings, you can create ideation workshops, co-creation mechanisms, um, and a lot of these briefings in order to fully understand and evaluate internal pain points, internal gaps, uh, potential business units that you can work with in order to uptake digital technologies and to implement them. So the first part is always a lot of scoping and strategy. Um, and that part, I think it really is heavy on the acceleration team. So as an innovation partner, which Xnode is to our corporate partners, for us, it's really about being sure we create a structural way to gather insights, mm -hmm. capture insights, um, and then feed those insights back, but mm -hmm. of course, refine and enlarge them. Um, if we only stick with the pain points, but we don't go one level deeper, mm -hmm. sometimes we don't get to really the part that's innovation. Um, and then after this initial scoping, we then go into the actual execution part. We then go out there and we try to understand what potential pipeline there is. So are there external startups that they can work with? Um, and are, what type of startups most fits their needs. So through this type of scouting that we do, which normally lasts around two to three months, mm -hmm. we try to find the best fit. We work, of course, with our corporate partners to kind of really narrow it down. Um, this is the really funny part. So for when we do scouting, we'll, um, we have a database of a lot of startups that we work with, but then some of the really incredible startups we think are perfect fits, we'll do some cold calling or at least some cold WeChat. And when we do the cold calling, it's hilarious because they're always convinced at sometimes like one in three that we're, we're just um, swindling them or we're, we're not actually from the corporates that we say we're representing. Um, so it's always a funny dynamic when we're doing scouting. So we try to do a lot of mass scouting across different industries um, to look for adjacent innovations. So innovations that are not just in one vertical industry, but seeing if there are innovations or technologies in other industries that can be applied to their industry. Um, and through such, then, we get into the final proof of concept stage, which is where we accelerate. And I would say acceleration is where we have the most structure, the mm -hmm. most tools. Um, and we do so through conducting feasibility checks. We do so trying to understand, is it feasible and desirable? So do we do customer interviews? Are we doing a lot of um, customer validation meetings and things like that? And then finally, we also look at the business model part of it. Does it make financial sense and things like that? So it's a very, um, it's a long spectrum from beginning to end. But I would say for a first time corporate partner, we take around nine to 12 months to really get it off the ground um, and to build trust. It's better to build trust over long term that way. Yeah. Do you have returning clients? 
Oh, good thing. Escania is a returning client. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, Intel is also a returning client. I try not, never to say client. I say partner, partner because Kapil at this point is almost a partner in crime. So I've been working with Kapil at Intel GrowthX for two to three years now. Um, and a lot of these long-term partners, they see the value in um, sustained innovation and mm -hmm. sustained investment. Innovation never yields quick quick results. You can right. get quick wins, but quick results really take a while, right? Because for your core business, it, it will always overshadow what we think innovation or digital um, services can do. However, I think innovation is setting yourself, yourself up for a 5, 10, 20 years horizon. So a lot of the um, corporate partners that come back, they also understand that, uh, they understand this vision. So Scania is one of them, Intel is one of them, and we have a couple of other industries that we also look at. Sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, what are the top challenges that um, corporates usually face? Why they come mm. to you? Oh. Couple of top challenges. Couple you of can top think challenges. Of. I'm trying to think which ones are okay to say. <laughs> um, why they always come to us? Uh, the first one, and I think it's the easiest one, is speed. Um, so, if Chinese startups are notorious for being pragmatic and quick. I think uh, corporations are notorious for being a little slower and much more deliberate. Um, these very practices are what make made corporates kind of the industry leaders, right? A lot of checks and balances being very careful in their decision making. However, it doesn't mean that they are set up to be innovation leaders. So um, the biggest reasons why they come to us is, can you help us accelerate? How can we move faster? It could be something as simple as procurement and finance. How can we work and get our um, money and capital to startups so that they can start working on these faster than maybe the 90 or 120 days it takes for our procurement to or finance to then release the budget. So by working with a partner like us, they can sprint a little faster. Uh, corporations also come to us because they just don't have their hand on the pulse sometimes. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're not going to your breakfast events where you're doing your founder's breakfast. Too early for them. <laughs> it is. Or maybe it's just because they're not very engaged in the ecosystem as much. They don't know the channels to be engaged in. So in order to keep their hands on the pulse, they want to work with an innovation partner um, that is able to either do deal sourcing for them or to simply feed them some insights on what a lot of these startups are looking at and how these um, technologies and digital solutions can be implemented. So I think corporations have a wide range of reasons um, and all of that goes back to some of the challenges they face. So I have to say corporations these days definitely feel the challenge, especially from um, young Chinese tech, as well as I think their Chinese counterparts, right? A lot of the corporations we work with are multinationals. So multinationals in China, I do think are being challenged more and more. Mm -hmm. There are some really great, let's say, products and services coming up to really disrupt their industries. Right. Um Talking about the corporations, MNCs and local companies. Mm, um, very different. Do they have same challenges or different challenges? I think they. I think they have very different challenges because they're they're very different companies to begin with. Um, so for multinationals, we touched a bit about it on already. They have um, decision making in which it's a lot of it is from global. So a lot of multinationals, corporates are in global. Sometimes the budgets or the corporate VCs, the CVCs are also there. Um, so that process deliberation may take longer, but as a result, they are also led by a very strong vision um, and a structure. I think in 
Chinese um, corporations, it's a little different. So it's very top down um, because the headquarter is in China for China. So China for China is, of course, an advantage. Mm. But the thing is, I, I will say, I think there is less motivation mechanism in place for um, China for China employees to really look at new ways to disrupt um, and I say that because when we have worked with previous Chinese corporations, we see that they are incredibly smart. Um, they have some of, if not more, resources than multinationals. However, they're a lot more um, they're a lot more timid, I think, in their attempts at doing innovation. So instead of rapid, disruptive innovation, they would much prefer to look at incremental, and I mean incremental innovation. Mm -hmm. So um, for Chinese corporations, I think the challenge is to change some of the mindset of the people to be able to take more risks. So a, a lot of it is cultural, but a lot of it is also the incentive mechanism built in place. Um, I do think it's quite different for these two type of giants. Interesting. Yeah. Do you see any big trends in corporate innovation in China? Big trends in corporate innovation in China. Uh, um, from yeah, I think for internal for internal uptake, I see a lot more uh, multinationals trying to leverage Chinese native digital tools mm -hmm. to speed up their processes. Um, China, to be honest, is such a great firewall sometimes. You really need to work in the ecosystem to increase efficiency, to really leverage communication. So for internal processes, I see a lot more of that. Leveraging Chinese digital native tools to speed up um, decision making, to speed up collaboration, co-working, and things like that. Uh, another trend that we are seeing a lot is that these corporate partners of ours are coming to us um, and their global their global team may have already identified a couple of trends and they believe that Chinese digital technology providers can actually fulfill that trend. So taking China to global now, not just China for China, but also China for global. Um, and that trend is quite new. Um, but when we do see that, it's very exciting because it tells us that there are a lot of Chinese startups in which their applications now are on the same level as global, if not, I think, even more competitive. So that is a really great trend for Chinese technology startup founders because it gives them a lot more incentive to work with these larger non-native corporations. So we see a bit more trends that way. Um, and lastly, of course, we see a lot more corporate um, venturing into venture mm -hmm. building. So not just become not just becoming the client of some of the startups, but also co-creating something, right? It could be through joint venture, it could be co-creating a product or even going joint to market together. We see a lot more risk taking and trust. And that is a really good sign that innovation is yielding positive business impact. Um, so just a couple of trends we see. Thank you. <laughs> and the final one for you, um, it's yes. going to be a tradition, I guess, for this uh, podcast. Um, what is innovation for you? How do you define it? Uh, Innovation for me is, the definition of it for me is technologically enabled new products or services that can change the world. And I think the role of entrepreneur is built on top of that. Taking these products and services and building on top of it in a very uncertain time, right? I think Eric Ries said something like that. And for me, innovation is really being able to embrace uncertainty, being able to embrace the uncomfortable, yet believing that this one little change can change the industry, change the world, or even change what it is that you're doing every day. So for me, innovation is really that. It's a, it's a, it's a great spark um, that can enable a lot of people to change the, their industries in a different way than before. Thank you, Jay.
Thank you, that Marian. was extremely insightful and helpful <laughs> and super interesting. Um, thank you very much for joining. Thank you for driving me. To the next meeting. Yes. <laughs> thank you for joining me uh, in China between meetings. Please do subscribe to our channels on WeChat and YouTube and stay tuned for the next episode.